0: Good morning to our viewers online. So imagine that the nation that you are living in is going through all kinds of social and political and religious turmoil. Tons of people around you are dropping dead every day from a pandemic. In fact, your home has become a hospital for the sick. Uh, And in your own home, you've been watching several of your own friends die. Your one-year-old son has come close to death, and your wife is pregnant with your second child. You yourself are suffering from heart problems and intestinal problems uh, that are causing pain all throughout your body. Oh, and because of your religious beliefs, because of the stance that you boldly took, you are now an enemy of both the church and the state. Which means now you can be arrested or killed on sight. So what does one do in this situation? Um, Do you cry out to God? Do you lose faith in God? Well, the person I'm describing... Is Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation. And what did Martin Luther do in this situation? Well, he read and he studied the psalm that we are looking at today, Psalm 46. You reflect on the sovereignty of God, and then you compose one of the greatest hymns in the history of the church. A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which is based on Psalm 46. Psalm 46 was one of Martin Luther's favorite psalms. When things seemed bleak for him, he would say, Come, let us sing the 46th psalm, and let them do their worst. So what is it about this psalm that made it one of Luther's favorites? Here's what he said. We sing this psalm to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh and sin. Psalm 46 is a psalm that shows us how to react when we look all around us and the world is going to hell. Whenever we look, we see sheer devastation, we see destruction, we see evil, and we see sheer madness. When we see wars, and we see school shootings, and we see sex trafficking, and we see just craziness, craziness. I read in the news recently about a 52-year-old man who left his wife and his seven kids uh, after 23 mar- years of marriage in order to fulfill his true identity to become a six-year-old girl. Crazy. Psalm 46 is a psalm that shows us how to respond when the world is literally on fire. I read on Friday about how there are thousands of firefighters who are currently battling wildfires in southwest France. Um, 10,000 people have been evacuated so far. 37,000 acres of pine forest have been destroyed uh, by fire, all because of a drought. uh, That The French officials said It's the worst ever on record. Smoke has drifted to the coast, and like beachgoers are now wearing masks. The message of Psalm 46 is essentially, the world's on fire, but I won't be afraid because I know God. It's a psalm for such a time as this. So knowing God is absolutely essential in life. Um, A.W. Tozer said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When we're living in times like these, if we are not rooted in a big God, uh, we will crumble under fear and anxiety Or we'll just live in denial and like bury our heads in the sand. Or we'll simply medicate ourselves, like binging on Netflix or video games or food or porn or drinking or drugs or whatever. Pick your distraction, pick your poison. When fear and anxiety are all around us uh, and we are not grounded in God and his word, we can get in all kinds of trouble. Um, We need to know God. Many years I read the classic book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, highly recommend it. Uh, It was written in 1973. And this is from that book. He said, the world becomes a strange, bad, painful place, and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant busyness for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. So on the other hand, Daniel chapter 11 verse 32 says this. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So Psalm 46 shows us what we need to do in order to live for the Lord. Even in the face of insurmountable odds. Even in the midst of utter madness, even in the midst of sheer evil. Sometimes we forget that we live in a world at war. Ephesians 6.12 says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places." So even though the Bible says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, it also says that he is the ruler of this world, Psalm 46 teaches us that if we are in Christ, we shouldn't fear because God is sovereign over all his creation. So I'm definitely into movies. Um, And some of my favorite movies of all time are the Lord of the Rings movies. Anybody like Lord of the Rings? Yeah, a few of you. Cool. All right, so they're based on the, the movies. are based on the books written by J.R.R. Tolkien. And there's Christian symbolism all, through, all throughout. Um, so before we dive into Psalm 46, I want to set the stage for our discussion by showing you a clip from the movie. Um, this is the very end of the battle at Helm's Deep. And uh, the evil orcs are about to break the final gate into the Hornburg, and it seems like evil uh, will triumph. But then the Christ-like figure, Gandalf, shows up. Um, Previously, he was Gandalf the Grey, right? He was wearing all gray, um, who earlier battled the demon Balrog in the bowels of the earth. And then he died, Uh, And then he was resurrected and transformed into Gandalf the White, right? He's all white. So, um, and when all hope seems lost at Helm's Deep, um, he arrives dressed in white, he's riding a white horse, and he is leading an army of a thousand troops. So, let's take a look. The fortress is taken. It is over. You said this fortress would never fall while your men defend it! They still defend it! They have died defending it! (laughs) I'm breaking (laughs) in! There's no other way for the women and children to get out of the caves. There's no other way. There is one passage. It leads into the mountains. But they will not get far. The Urukai are too many. (laughs) Send word for the women and children to make for the mountain pass and barricade the entrance. So much death. What can men do against such reckless hate? Ride out with me. Ride out and meet them. For death and glory. For Rohan. For your people. Your sun is rising. Look to my coming at first light on the fifth day. At dawn. sound in the deep. One last time. Yes! through Psalm 46, all right? All right, verses one through three of Psalm 46 says this. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. So verse one says that God is our refuge And then verses 7 and 11 both say that he's a fortress. So Psalm 46, 7 and 11, they're the same thing. Say, the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. So refuge and fortress. Um, The idea is that God is our protector, a refuge of shelter that we can run to. Um, and a fortress, in this case, is an impenetrable castle that we are brought into, for instance, by a king. So that old, that old hymn I mentioned, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written by Martin Luther, that hymn has become known as the Battle Hymn of the Reformation. It was inspired mainly from the first two verses of Psalm 46 and then verses 7 And 11. So again, here's the first verse, or here is the first verse of that hymn A mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. So that first line, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Um, God is our protection from real trouble. So look at, look at verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 46 again, but I want you to see it in another translation, the English Standard Version. It says, Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So I want you to notice the word though repeats four times. We will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. It's end times language. Um, It is language of divine judgment. And what is the psalmist saying? That we will not fear even though all hell is breaking loose around us. Why? Why? Because God is our refuge. He is our mighty fortress. He is the one that we can run to for protection. So I grew up going to public school in Florida. I remembered we'd regularly do hurricane drills. Uh, So all the kids would go in their classrooms and we'd crouch down under the desks. And uh, many years later when we were living in Kansas City, Missouri. um, They did the same with our son. But this time it was tornadoes, right, that they were taking shelter from. So as a society, we've taught our kids uh, what to do when a storm comes. But where do we run to when we're afraid? Um, When there is a real danger at our doorstep. Like... In the video clip, is it possible to be standing behind the gates of Helm's Deep with thousands of like vicious evil orcs at your doorstep on the verge of breaking down the gate and have a confident assurance that God's still sovereign and in control? So the scene we watched is similar to the scene in the Bible of Christ's return, his second coming. It's in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. And I want to read it to you. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release The fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured. And with him, the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves... On the dead bodies. So like an impenetrable castle, if we are in Christ, we're in his hands. And we're safe. Colossians 3.3 says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is our refuge, he is our fortress. And we have nothing to fear if we are in Christ. Verses 4 and 5 say this, of Psalm 46. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. So it seems like an odd transition. Out there, there's like earthquakes and like mountains falling into the sea and here we have a river bringing joy into the city of God. So the world's on fire out there, but God is blessing his people in his city with his life giving presence. You've heard me say this, if you've been attending here for a while, you've heard me say this many times. The power is in the presence. And what we see here is that the city can't be destroyed. Why? Because God dwells there. And the picture of God's presence is a river. It's the river that brings joy to the city of God. It's the river that flows and brings life and joy to every house, in every neighborhood, in the city of God. And what is the river? It is the holy spirit so listen to jesus speaking in john chapter 7 verses 37 through 39 on the last day the climax of the festival <clears throat> excuse me jesus stood and shouted to the crowds anyone who is thirsty <clears throat> excuse me i may be thirsty anyone who is thirsty may come to me i am good Uh, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit. who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So the key to life and joy and power and protection is God's presence. And the picture of God's presence uh, is a river. It is living water. It is the Holy Spirit. If we look at the madness in the world all around us, um, God's answer is that his people would be empowered by his spirit to do his works. He is making us thirsty to come and be filled again with his living water, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is in our midst, and he is a never-ending, never-failing river of life and joy. So we live in a culture where we're impressed with people, uh, successful people, Wealthy people, powerful people, famous people, beautiful people, fit people. In their magazine, it's called People. (laughs) We love stories about people. Um, People who've lost a lot of weight, people who've had plastic surgery or a makeover Uh, We love dramatic before-and-after photos. Uh, We love rags-to-riches stories. We love stories about people who've climbed the ladder of success. We're fascinated by the lifestyles of the rich and the famous. Now, the result of all that uh, is that we can start to lose perspective. We start to think too highly of others. And we forget the one who is the epitome, the embodiment, the source of every one of those things that I just mentioned. Like, and ultimately, we end up thinking too small of God. J.I. Packer said this again in that uh, book, Knowing God. He said, one reason why our faith is so feeble and our worship so flabby is because modern people cherish great thoughts of themselves but have as a rule small thoughts of God. When the person in the church, let alone the person on the street, uses the word of God, the thought is rarely of divine majesty. Psalm 46 displays God in his divine majesty as one who is to be highly exalted. We read in verse 4 that God, in the Hebrew, is Elion, the most high God. There is no one higher. There is no higher king. There is no higher judge or president or world power. There's no one more powerful, no one more successful, no one more famous, no one more wealthy, no one more beautiful. Nebuchadnezzar was probably the most powerful man of his time. Um, And he he found this truth out the hard way. So at the time, he was pretty self-focused, pretty impressed with himself. And he was impressive. He ruled one of the greatest superpowers of his time. But he tried to exalt himself above God, and so God had to humble him. It's in Daniel chapter 4, Verses 30 through 33, it says this. As Nebuchadnezzar looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven. And I wish I had the voice of, like, that guy from the, the, from the Allstate commercials, like the African-American guy. He's like, oh, you know, O King Nebuchadnezzar. This, but I don't, sorry. <laughs> okay, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. So, after a period of time, when Nebuchadnezzar came to and his reason returned to him, um, so listen to what he says in the next four verses. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned. And I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, What do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the King of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. So this is a pagan king talking like this. We need to talk like this. So again, verses 7 and 11 in Psalm 46 both say, the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. So let let this sink in for a moment. Who is with us? the Lord of heaven's armies, or in older translations, it says the Lord of hosts. Those are armies of angels. Okay, so remember back in 2 Kings 19, there was an angel who killed a lot of people. thousands. I'll read it to you. 2 Kings 19, verse 35. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Now, that was one angel. Our God commands a whole army of angels. Oh, And he is more powerful than all of those angels combined. Our God is many things, but one of the things we learn from Scripture is that he's a warrior. Moses sings, he sang of the Lord being a warrior after defeating Pharaoh and his army. It's in Exodus 15, verse 3. It says, The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. He's a warrior, and he's our fortress. Verses 7-11, again, say, the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. So the picture here is of God going out and defeating his enemies in battle, and then bringing his people back into his fortress, his castle, um, for protection and for celebration. So think of all the examples in Scripture where God, <clears throat> excuse me, fights for His people. Now Here's just a few of them: Exodus fourteen, fourteen. The Lord Himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Chronicle, Second Chronicles twenty, verse seventeen. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions. Then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow. For the Lord is with you. Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies. And he will give you victory. And then lastly, Deuteronomy 3:22, "Do not be afraid of the nations there, for the Lord your God will fight for you." And of course, ultimately, it was Christ our Lord, who came to fight and win for us the war of the ages, against the devil, against sin, <clears throat> excuse me, and even death. And it was through His death and His resurrection. That he wins. So God is a mighty warrior and God fights for us. And because, because God is our refuge in every time of trouble, because his spirit is like a river that brings his presence, That brings his joy, this is what he says. He says in verse 10 of Psalm 46: He says, Be still. And know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And He says, I'll be honored by every nation, I'll be honored throughout the world. Do you know what being still means? It's, it's like countercultural. It's countercultural to like who we are as Americans. It's countercultural to like in the church world. The evangelical church world is countercultural to, like, Minnesota. (laughs) You know, hardworking people. It means relaxing. I like the NASB translation. It says, cease striving and know that I am God. The psalmist commands us to be still, to cease striving, to stand in awe at the greatness of God, and to worship him. In light of who God is, in light of all that he has done, um, we should exalt his name, we should praise him. God is with us, he will protect us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is our warrior who will fight for us. He is our refuge. He is our fortress. And when we look around us and we see a world that has gone mad, we need to reflect on God's sovereignty. We need to behold the mighty works of the Lord. Who made the world in the first place? Who rules it with great power? Who is going to have the final say at the end of days and establish his eternal reign forever? That's redundant. Eternal forever. But it's, it's like that long. What's infinity times infinity? Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. This is why I don't drink coffee before I preach, because the phlegm is even worse. (laughs) So if you see me out there before church drinking coffee, that's a sure sign I'm not preaching that morning. (laughs) So this phrase, be still, it's interesting. This phrase, be still. It's the same phrase that Jesus used to calm the wind and the waves. He says, be still. And then the wind and the sea completely die down in silence, in awe and worship of their Creator. There's a silence, there's a stillness, that should overtake us in the presence of someone that is so overwhelmingly magnificent and holy and glorious. The call to all of us is to be still and know that he is God. And that presence of God, the Holy Spirit, should flow like living water <clears throat> out of the city of God, right? Out of this church, not that this is the city of God, but using that imagery, God has his own city. We're just a, his church, one of his churches. <clears throat> but it is the Holy Spirit who flows out of us like living water, Not just to bring joy to those who already know Jesus, but joy to those who don't. So that they too would experience salvation and the Holy Spirit's power and presence. God's goal in being with his people is not just for them, but to spread the knowledge of God to empower God's people by his spirit to be his witnesses in the world so that more and more people would come to know Jesus. So that more and more people would come to experience his joy and be saved. Be still and know that he is God, and let the rivers flow, the living water, we need to continue to be filled and filled again with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Why? Of course, it feels wonderful. It's a reminder of how much God loves us. But it's not just for us. I will put it as bluntly as this. Without Jesus, people have no hope. There are people, there are people all around us who, without Jesus, are going to hell. And so it's this, it's this. Be still and know that he is God. Be filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let the living waters flow as a river that bring joy and salvation and freedom. Not just to us. But to all the people who need Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, you alone rule the universe. Absolutely. You set the times, you set the seasons according to your will. While nations and kings and presidents come and go, you alone are the king of kings and the lord of lords. Lord, you are sufficient in everything. You can create without us. You don't need our help. You bring good out of evil. You bring hope from despair. You restore what we mess up. Lord, you are sovereign and we are not. And yet, you invite us to join with you in partnering in your holy work of bringing your kingdom Lord, you use us to be conduits of your grace and your spirit. You give us the privilege of making a difference in the world in the lives of the people you love so much that you died for them. Lord, help us to be still and know that you are God. Help each of us to be a river of living water, bringing the good news of Jesus and the Spirit's power and presence wherever we go. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.